You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. I believe, and my heart, the heart of my message this morning is that God has called us for today to be the church of Jesus, fully alive and alert and attentive, sober minded and vigilant to the issues at hand. And God is not surprised by what we are facing as a church in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our families, in our nation. And I believe God has called us for today. He, he, he fully equips us to allow us to interpret and discern the times in which we are called. I remember in high school, one of my friends, a friend that I actually grown up in church with, he, he walked away from the Lord in middle school and high school, but then his senior year of high school, he encountered Christ. And he really came alive for Christ. Like, it's all he talked about. <laughs> and it's, sometimes he'd get so excited about the things of the Lord that he'd start to shout, and it was kind of startling to people. And after months and months and months of this, and probably over a year of this went on, there were some that started to get a little tired of his zeal. And I'm not the judge of the sincerity of his zeal or whatnot. But some people began to kind of, this, this statement started to go around in our community. It was this, that this guy is so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Maybe you've heard that phrase being spoken over certain people in different times. But I would actually, the more I've thought about that, I, don't, I think that, that, that statement is misapplied. Or it's, it's just an impossibility. I don't think it's possible for us to be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. We can be irrelevant, we can be disconnected from reality around us, but if we're truly heavenly-minded, if we're truly gripped by the things of God's heart, we will be compelled to action. We will be moved to actually do something and to be an influence around us. So I think it's an impossibility. And this morning, I want to preach a message simply entitled, The Church for Today, because I believe sovereign God has appointed us, yes, us, LifePoint Church, a small congregation in central Iowa to be an influence for today. In 2018, I believe God has called us to that. And so the main idea for this this morning is this, that the Jesus church rises to meet the day head on. We don't take a back seat. We're not going to be passive. God calls us to rise up as a church. So today is the day God has called us to influence for his kingdom. I believe that in my heart of hearts. And I spend my days and my weeks praying that, that God would allow us to, to not miss out, that, that we wouldn't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are kind of sitting passively by saying, we want more, God. Just show that this is really, this is really you. And, they said, and Jesus said, you're not going to get any greater sign than the sign of Jonah, which was his resurrection, which was coming. And so we've got it. We've got the, the revelation of the significance of what is before us. It's right here. And we can, we can rise to the occasion as the church and be the influence that he's called us to be. I believe God has called us for today. I believe a big part of that is us rising to be counterculture. That means we go against the tide. We go against the current. We have no problem being different. Jesus called us to be salt and light. I mean, salt, and, salt and in this world and, and light in the midst of darkness. That means we are called to be distinct. We are called to be different. But I want to make a huge caveat to what it means to be counterculture. 
Because to be counterculture does not mean that we are known more for what we are against. It doesn't mean we shout louder, that we protest more um, annoyingly. Now, I believe as we, as we encounter the love of Jesus, the power of God, the eternal significance of what, of what we have before us, that becomes what the theme of our community, that becomes what we're known for, is the love of God, the power of God that transforms situations. The world's attracted to that type of uh, authoritative power that transforms situations. And if we're actually a rare tribe of people that talk about the eternal significance of what is before us, that our lives are but a vapor, that stands out in a world that's, that's full of vanities and, 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 uh, and temporary pleasures. God has called us to be counterculture. Being counterculture is not an emphasis of what we are against. Instead, it's simply understanding that we hold the answer. In our midst, we have the love and the power of Jesus to transform and to come head-on, toe-to-toe with any situation. So how do we do that? How do we be an influence? What is our role in this world? I want us to dive, in, dive into that this morning as we unpack the last, we have, we have kind of an ambitious goal this morning to, to dive through the last eight chapters of the book of Acts. So we're going to get reading here. No, I'm not going to actually read any of it. I'm just going to quickly summarize the last eight chapters of the book of Acts because I feel like there's a constant theme that, that, or a consistent theme that, that, that follows the thread of the last eight chapters of the book of Acts that I want us to catch as a church. It's not a church that we see in the book of Acts that's sitting in the back row, although they had very little uh, formal influence, uh, although they had very few resources they were, they were always on the front lines, toe-to-toe with the, the, the dominant forces of their day. And I feel like so it is for us. We don't have to wait to be a megachurch. We, we don't have to, to wait for other people to affirm us and pat us on the back and appoint us in positions. We can rise up today to be the church that God has called us to be, to be an influence, to be agents of change. I believe a great analogy of, what, of the challenge that we have before us is the analogy of wind. Wind is, is a force that you cannot see, but you can see the impact of. And so it is with, with culture. I believe culture, there's, there's the, this constant impact of culture on us. And when we are oblivious to the cultural forces before us, I believe we just kind of go with the flow. And so often the church has become a victim of that. We just, we just kind of, we're blown about by culture. At the same time, when we, see, we look at the, the, throughout Scripture, there's a constant, or there's a consistent analogy describing the, the work of the Spirit of God as wind. We see it in Acts chapter 2. It sounded like the sound of a mighty rushing wind was the Spirit of God rushing in Acts chapter 2. In John chapter 3, we see Jesus describing to Nicodemus the work of the Holy Spirit for salvation being like a wind blowing where he wills. So we are people that are called to be attuned to the, the cultural winds, but also the, the wind of the Spirit, and say, God, what are you doing? How are you calling? We, we want to be influenced by that wind, the wind of the Spirit. That's what God has called us to be, and I see that so clearly here in the book of Acts, the last eight chapters. So as Paul's third missionary journey is coming to a close in Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 21 and 22, then he finds himself 
before the religious leaders, the, the, the religious establishment, the, the Jewish leaders, they're sick and tired of him proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. They're like, please, just give it up. Like, we want to move on. We want to get back to the covenant we, we, we hold so dear. It has not been fulfilled. And so they want, they want Paul killed. They don't want him to just be in prison. They want Paul killed. And so here, Paul rises up toe-to-toe, not in a contentious way, not with protesting, not trying to proclaim his rights, but honestly proclaiming the work of Jesus in his life. He proclaims his testimony before the, the, um, the Jewish council. And so I believe one of our roles is to come consistently or constantly toe-to-toe with religious establishment. You see, throughout church history, the Jesus church has always come against that cultural force of the religious establishment, which is, which is legalism, which is, which is um, work without faith, which is godliness without power. It's a form of godliness, but it lacks the, the actual gospel power that changes situations. It's status quo. The Jesus church always rises up against the religious establishment and brings us back to our roots of, of radical grace, the grace that's for everyone, that constantly keeps it simple and pure and powerful. That's, that's what the Jesus church constantly does. And Paul was contending for that. He was willing to give his life for it. He was willing to be imprisoned for it. So it is for us. We have to be so attuned to that cultural force, which is religion. And I've talked about that a lot, so I'm not going to go much into that this morning. But as we continue the story then through Acts chapter 23 and 24, we see Paul having no problem coming toe-to-toe with the governor himself, the governor of Judea, Governor Felix. And he stands before him, and actually for two years they keep him there in Caesarea. He's imprisoned. And for several months, uh, Felix and his wife, Drusilla, it's my long-lost cousin, Drusilla, she... She, she meets, her and Felix, they meet with, with Paul, and they're, they're actually intrigued as he talks about self-control and righteousness and, and the coming judgment. But ultimately, Felix is corrupt, and he, he's in it really, he's just hoping to get bribed by Paul, and so finally he gives up, and he just leaves him in prison for two years. But Paul has no problem coming toe-to-toe to the strongest forces of his day, even the governor himself, but it even goes beyond that. Here in Acts then 25 and 26, they call him the real big guns. They call him King Agrippa II, and they call Paul to stand before King Agrippa II himself. With all, it says, it says it itself in Acts 20, 26, with all the pomp and the, the ceremonial uh, elaborateness that goes along with uh, royalty, they, 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 they hold nothing back for Paul's encounter with the king. And right there, boldly, before King Agrippa II himself, he declares Jesus as Lord. I believe God taking the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, the weak things of this world to shame the strong. That is the way of the Jesus church. And even as we continue the story in Acts 27 and 28, he's released from prison. As he's on his journey, being released from prison, they have a shipwreck, and he gets stuck on the island of Malta. And even on the island of Malta, it's a beautiful place in the Mediterranean Sea, signs and wonders follow Paul because he is on the front lines of, of moving the Jesus church forward. Signs and wonders follow Paul. And again, he has another meeting with the king of the island of Malta. 
Jesus is constantly pushing the Jesus church to the front lines, giving them influence beyond themselves. And so I believe it is for us that God is going to continue to push us forward to the front lines, influencing society, influencing the world around us. But what if our, what if our influence was not through the, the, the means that so often I believe that evangelicalism has uh, t- been tempted to, to fall into the traps of what if, what if our influence wasn't through the political process, through government process, through even public formal debate? What if our influence was much more like the Apostle Paul in the trenches of life, taking, making the most of the opportunities that are before us, being able to declare with power and authority the work of Jesus in our lives, and then letting the fruit stand with God? What if? I believe that when God calls us to be light in the midst of darkness, he really means it. And so, to kind of unpack this this morning, we're actually going to look at, our main text is going to be in Philippians chapter 2. The book of Philippians was a book that, Jesus, or that Paul wrote during this time of imprisonment. Most scholars believe it was while he was probably in a prison cell in Rome. And so I believe there, there's a glimpse of the, the, the main theme of, of this uh, period of his life that we can catch a glimpse of in, Acts, or in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. We're going to look at this this morning. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may, be, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. There's so much in this passage, passage that can uh, spur us on in the right direction of being people of light, being people of influence in our world today, being the church of Jesus today. So first, I want us to see that very first verse, verse 14. It says, do all things without grumbling, without complaining. I believe it's our time to not give any excuses. That's my first point. I want us to not give any excuses. Don't give excuses. We don't have any excuse to sit on the sidelines and say, my life is too difficult, or we have too much stacked up against us as the church of Jesus. We have too much stacked up against us as a family or as a church family. It just doesn't fly, actually, in Paul's paradigm. And, and, and take in for a moment the fact that he's sitting in a prison cell. He says, do not give in to grumbling or complaining. He never gave in to that mentality. But, but how often do we do that? We say, woe is me. You know, there, there's just, our, our day and age is too difficult. It's too dark. Sin is just is running rampant. Our hearts break, and, but I believe that today is the day that God has appointed us to be alive. He has appointed you to be alive today, to be an influence. And so the temptation is to think that, that our lives and our moment in history is so unique. Today is so unique. We have so many unique challenges. I, I don't believe that it's so much that, that, that that's not a true statement. Our, our moment in history is unique. That is the definition of unique. It is once, once, once in a lifetime. It is unique. 
But it's irrelevant as, as to the degree of difficulty that, that's involved in our lives. It's irrelevant. Think of the, the, the uh, obstacles in Paul's life. Think of the political atmosphere in his day and age. It was oppressive. It was authoritarian. It was abusive. They had no problem with the shedding of blood and beating innocent people before their eyes. I mean, the Roman Empire was brutal in taking over other countries. I mean, the political atmosphere was, makes our political atmosphere seem so tame. Think of the religious atmosphere. People were so starkly divided into all their little sects. There was not, there was not the, the public discourse and conversations that we have today. Think of the economical divides. There was not much of a middle class. It was a rich and poor. Think of technology. And, and, and that puts into perspective Paul's influence. This man planting dozens and dozens, dozens of churches across the, the known world with nothing but more than word-of-mouth communication and some humble letters, it's pretty profound. The church of Jesus Christ is influential. And we in our day and age, we don't have room for excuses to sit passively by and to say, woe is me, woe is us as LifePoint Church. We just got too much stacked up against us. Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 28, Paul says this in Athens. He says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. I want us to believe that, that God actually appointed for you the allotted periods and boundaries for your life, that he doesn't make mistakes, that he's appointed you. There's a mysterious sovereignty, to, sovereignty of God that we'll never wrap our minds around. You can be okay with that. You can leave that to the theologians and philosophers. I believe in terms of real life, it doesn't matter. God is sovereign, mysteriously sovereign, and he's appointed you to be alive today, to be an influence. Just in the last uh, couple weeks, actually this week, specifically I was in more meetings with a ministry that we highlighted a couple weeks ago, Wings of Refuge. This ministry, Brandy Schleisman highlighted them a couple weeks ago. This ministry is, is ministering to victims of human trafficking. And I just love their mentality. A humble group of uh, people from Iowa Falls saying, we're not going to sit passively by. We're not going to make excuses. We're going to do something about the reality that in the United States, there's 60,000 victims of human trafficking. And this, this week in that meeting, I heard this stat that of the 60,000 victims of human trafficking, there's only 600 beds, a little over 600 beds for people trying to get out of human trafficking. Any sort of transitional living homes. 600 in the entire nation. And they said, hey, we see a need. That's something we can do. We can provide homes. We can provide a bed for these individuals. That's, that's the mindset of the Jesus church. They're not trying to bite it all off. They're saying, I can do something. This morning, we have Rhonda Morrison. Rhonda Morrison's sitting right here in the, in the aisle here. Can you raise your hand, Rhonda? She's here representing Informed Choices, and obviously one of our elders, uh, Connie Sloan, serves tremendously with Informed Choices. Informed Choices is a ministry right here in Ames, and they're doing that very thing. They've said, we're not going to sit passively by as 600,000 babies are slaughtered in, in our na nation. We're going to do something about it. We're going to provide a professional certified medical clinic to minister to these young people in our own city. That's the way the Jesus Church thinks. 
They're not pointing their, their, their fingers at politicians and government situations. They say, no, we're going to do it. We're going we're to rise to the occasion. We're going to go toe-to-toe with what God's calling us to do. We're going to go for it. That is the mindset of the Jesus church. And as he keeps going, then in verse 15, he says, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And honestly, if there's any passage of this, um, that, sorry, if there's any portion of this passage that I would hope would stick with you, it's this portion right here. And I want to summarize it with these two words, burn brighter. I believe God is calling us to burn brighter. We don't need to point our finger at darkness and say, why are you being so dark? Instead, we need to worry about ourselves and burn brighter. The more and more we burn brightly with the love, contagious love for Jesus, the more the darkness takes notice. We don't have to say, woe is me, in terms of the darkness around us. Say, darkness is at all time high. Do you know, actually, in darkness, light is even more powerful. Smaller amounts of light become even more powerful. We just need to worry about burning brighter for Jesus. Where darkness abounds, light's even more powerful. And I think this is really evident right now currently with some of the issues that we're facing. I'm just going to highlight some issues that, that we are facing because I believe God's calling us to be an impact, to be an influence. I send my own kids to the public schools. Me and my wife, we proudly send our kids to Gilbert schools uh, north of Ames. And we love the schools here in Ames and in Gilbert. I believe we're blessed here in Story County. But it's no um, surprise that there are huge issues facing our public schools. There are huge issues. Sexuality is a, confusion is at an all-time high. People can't tell what, which direction's up, which direction's down, and no one has the authority to talk about it. I believe this is our moment as a church to, with purity and with power, to speak into this and to be a church of influence. That's why even as a young age, with my 16-year-old and my 8-year-old, we talk about God's best in the, in the, in the place of purity, of sexual, sexuality. I believe that's our role. We don't even need to really highlight the confusion of it. You know how bright and uh, intuitive kids are. When you just exalt God's best, the way he designed it, kids are so intuitive to put two and two together, and they see. And I believe that the church of Jesus, the more and more we exalt God's best, God's plan for purity, the more and more our young people will realize it, and they'll be, a, they'll be an influential force in our schools. Obviously, violence in our schools is of a huge concern right now, and Ames Tribune just had an article, a national article, about the, the death toll in our schools now being higher than the death toll amongst our military personnel, which is a horrific reality, but that's where we find ourselves. And we can sit here and we can point our fingers at all sorts of other people. Or as, a church, as the Jesus church, we can choose to burn brighter. You know what that means? I mean, that means taking a hard look at how we are contributing to violence in our society. I believe, and I'm not trying to step on toes, but I'm, I'm really getting tired. I'm getting um, discontent with the idea that the church is going to continue to make room for violence in our homes. Through media. I believe we consume a a level of violence that that we were not designed to have a capacity for. Through video games, through movies, even through news outlets. Just because it's on there doesn't mean it's appropriate for us as children of God. The The way Paul describes it here is be innocent as children, blameless and innocent as children. 
Can we with conviction say that, that we're guarding that in our lives? We can sit and point our fingers at everyone else, or we can say, God, I want to burn brighter with the, this blameless innocence like a child. Yeah, that, may make some, that, that might mean some difficult choices in the, way, in the way we consume our time or the way we spend our time, but I believe that's what God's calling us to. And I speak to myself. I'm in the midst of the same cultural dynamics you all are. We have to make difficult choices about what we let ourselves consume. But I believe the church of Jesus Christ should be different. I'm not calling us back to a form of dead legalism. I'm saying in our own homes, we say, God, I want to burn brighter. I want to have a, 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 new, a, a fresh standard of what is right, of what light is. How can we be light if we can't even tell the difference between light and darkness? Because we're so numb to it. There is a, a uh, I know, a psychological, scientific fact to the, the impact of what we consume through our media to, uh, to, to numbing our senses. The standard always gets raised. It, what, what used to be horrific and terrible becomes just normal. That's what happens psychologically, physically in our senses when we consume this stuff. So I would just encourage us as a church, that's something we can do. We can be more aware, more alert, more sober-minded about the things that we consume. I don't believe if we think this way, we need to be afraid about dead legalism. As long as we keep focused on the radical grace of God, the radical grace of God actually reaches into the darkest places. Jesus hung out with sinners, with the worst of sinners, with prostitutes, because he was fixed and he was fully confident in the love of God towards him. So it is with us. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus gives this command to the disciples. He says, be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. I believe that's a great commandment for us as we step out into this world and we come toe-to-toe with these cultural forces that we can have this, this humble posture of wisdom as serpents, meaning this humble posture of dependence on God, saying, I don't know how to approach this situation, God, but I want to be wise to walk in truth. And as innocent as doves, exactly as Paul said here in, Acts, or in Philippians chapter 2. So finally then in verse 16, he says, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He wanted to continually hold fast to the word of life. And so that's my final just exhortation to us this morning, is that we would hold fast to the word of life. What does that mean? Does it mean just picking up your Bible more often and clinging to it like this and, and or just reading more of your word? Well, no, actually. I would say no, it's not. Holding fast to the word of life is actually holding fast to the person of Jesus Christ. This word in itself can be just letters on a page if you're not careful. But when you put this word in its proper context, this becomes a revelation of a person. That we've gotten ourselves into a whole lot of trouble when we fling this thing around as just words on a page. The letter actually kills. The Spirit gives life. And too often the church has, has come to worship a God who is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Word, instead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't step away for a moment of the authority of, of, the authority of Scripture. This stands as our authority, as the revelation of a person. The revelation of Jesus Christ himself. And so when we hold fast to the word of life, we're holding fast to the person of Jesus Christ. And yes, we do consume more of the word. 
But it comes in this posture of, God, I need to encounter you in a fresh way. And honestly, I'm only 32 years old. But every year I'm alive, I realize my need more and more for a fresh encounter with God. Just the things that, that tax me in my day-to-day life, I realize God. And honestly, I spend a whole lot of time right here at this front altar. When no one else is around, I spend my time on my face before God saying, God, I need you today. Not just to be pastor of this church, but I need you to lead my family. I need you to be the man of God that you've called me to be. I need you, Jesus. And that's what holding fast to the word of life is. I actually, any time I spend with people one-on-one, as people unpack issues that they're facing, I rarely say, you just need to read the word of God more. I, I don't say that too often, because I don't think it's actually helpful. The, the answer is not just reading more of the word of God quantity. It's not. Look at this indictment that Jesus gives to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it's they that have been witnesses about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The issue is not just consuming more of the word. We can think there's some quick fix, like this is some secret code to decipher. No, this reveals a person. The issues that we face, the answer is to encounter Jesus. The answer is to encounter the person of Jesus, yes, through his word. And that's what we need more and more. I need it in my life. You know, in light of uh, Memorial Day, I did come across a story about the Reverend Billy Graham, who we lost this year. In February, the Dr. Billy Graham, the, one of the greatest Christian leaders of our generation, passed away. And I heard this story recently of a young pastor who went to, um, he, he had the opportunity to go and meet with Dr. Graham before he passed away. This is within two years of him passing. And it, t- it was you know, quite the ordeal just for him to be able to spend time with him. He actually flew up to, or flew down to North Carolina to spend time with him, only to find out he wasn't feeling up for it, so he flew all the way back home. Then he got a call, yeah, he can meet with you, so he flew all the way back, and he was able to meet with him. But in that moment, he just obviously had tons of questions for him about ministry and about life and about marriage and family, and one question he, he really wanted to ask him was, how long, in all these years, how long does it take you to prepare a sermon? And and Dr. Billy Graham said this, I have been writing the same sermon every day of my life. See, for Dr. Graham, it wasn't about coming up and delivering some polished, clearly articulated message. He so wanted to experience it for himself. So for him, it wasn't just trying to deliver the letter of the word. It was the spirit of the word always for him. And still still to to this day, he said, I'm still working on that message every day of his life. And at the end of their conversation, this young pastor said, of course, like any of us would probably say, would you, would you please pray for me? And Dr. Graham said, yeah, I'll pray for you as long as you pray for me, which was a humbling request. But he said, I want you to pray for me that I would stay the course. I want to finish well. That's challenging from Dr. Graham himself to say he wants to finish well. And I believe it's the Jesus Church is the fact that you're sitting here this morning. God's best for you is that you would run, run hard, that you would finish well, that you'd hold fast to the word of life, continue. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward because we're going to end in a little bit of a different way this morning. I believe God's calling us to respond. Over the last seven weeks, we've been in this series, The Jesus Church, which has been challenging for me because I realize 
how quickly we can adopt a view of church that's not actually in alignment with God's design and God's intention. As we've, as we've dove into the book of Acts in more detail, it's, it's been challenging, even disturbing. And I came across this quote from a scholar, J.B. Phillips. He said this. Just listen to this. I don't think I have this on the screen, but listen to this. It is impossible to spend several weeks in close study of this remarkable short book, that's the book of Acts, without being profoundly stirred and, to be honest, disturbed. The reader is stirred because he or she has seen Christianity, the real thing, in action for the first time in human history. The newborn church, as vulnerable or any human child, having neither money, influence, nor power in the ordinary sense, is setting forth joyfully and courageously to win the pagan world for God through Christ. The book of Acts can be disturbing, but I believe over the last seven weeks, God has opened our eyes in several areas, in several ways, and he's calling us to respond, and I don't, I don't think it's by chance that we wrap this series up to start off summer. I believe summer is an important season for us here in Ames. This is a season, a lull in the, in the, the rhythm of our city, and God is, is calling for our attention, saying, this is our moment to reboot and gear up for all that he has for us. So I'm gonna ask everyone to stand. I'm actually gonna call people forward to the altar this morning. We don't normally do that, but I believe that this calls for that. God is calling us to be a church and a people of influence. It takes us as individuals and us as a cohesive group to really go for it, to go toe to toe with all the issues that I talked about. Yes, violence, sexuality, the other, the race issues currently, God has an answer. We can be an answer. We can be people of influence in the midst of these issues. But he's calling us to respond. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want us to pray right now. Then I'm going to call you to move out of your seats if you're able and you're willing. And just spend a moment with the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.